Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I went to London because for me, it was the home of literature. I went there because of Dickens and Shakespeare. No, let's say Shakespeare and Dickens to get them in the right order. Ben Oakry. London, Michaelmas term lately over. London. Okay, you know where you are. A radical transformation. Very radical transformation. Are morally outraged with what's going on. I got very excited this week. Seems reasonable, didn't it? As soon as you scratch the surface, you realise gore happened all across London. Every open square would have a place called the Kittle Hoosie. Saw your Geordie's Grace riding on a goosey. What the hell is that? <laughs> a man is tired of London. He's tired of so London. So what was the first thing that caught your eye? The South has an overstuffed walrus. It's, it's a very important history. A handwritten letter from Charles Dickens. There's a piece of information we're missing here somewhere. You snake through the city, you immersing yourself in the sights, sounds, songs, stories. for the Jewish community the who came over in their tens of thousands from uh, Russia, from Poland. We are doing a modern take on Morris dancing. When did he think the second coming was going to happen? Yes, uh, Boris... He wants to put an airport. <laughs> the tone with which Boris has announced it is fatigue. Yes, the city is always changing. People frequently say to me, you know, won't it be wonderful when it's finished? And I say, no, it'll be dreadful. No, it'll mean it's dead. Inform and entertain. That's what it's about. London is a modern Babylon. That's very true. Can we have some of the detail here? Hello, it's Friday, March the 1st, 2013. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and this is Londonist Out Loud, a podcast of news, views, and curiosities from London, UK. As ever, you can download the show free on iTunes, hook up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud, tweet me at Londonist Sound, or see pictures of our guests via Londonist Out Loud on Instagram. Well, as you know, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Thanks for holding the fort in my absence. A bit of correspondence to catch up on here, not least uh, from Robin Winning over in Santa Rosa, California. Thanks for listening, Robin. And thanks also for your message uh, asking, well, where we are. Well, you know, everybody needs a holiday, but we're back now and ready to serve up a menu of material in March. We've got uh, some fascinating stuff around the railways in uh, coming weeks. We'll also be investigating a church that claims to be the oldest in London and what a history it's got. This week, we've got more sheep than you can shake a stick at. An email has come in from a regular listener, Matt Keane. He often writes in. It was in response to something that was being said by Nigel of Bermondsey all about litter 
well, he, he said Nigel shows remarkable restraint in dealing with other people's litter, my biggest non-violent hate. Uh, but he goes on to say, as for the metros on the tube, you'll remember we were asking whether or not they get recycled. Matt says, I did ask a while back. I'm a cyclist now. As far as I could make out, they all just go into the clear plastic sacks with anything else that's been left behind. I very much doubt that they're ever separated out for recycling, but I'd love to be proved wrong. Yeah, I'd I'd love you to be proved wrong as well, Matt. I hope they get recycled. We're going to try and find out. Now, we'll be heading south of the river in just a moment. You've been signing up, though, for audible.co.uk, and you'll know that they've got a a free digital audiobook waiting for you from their online library of over 60,000 digital audio books. All you've got to do is uh, sign up for a 30-day free trial of the Audible service. You can listen to your audiobook on your iPod, iPad, iPhone, uh, compatible phones, MP3 players. You can even burn it to a CD and listen to it in the car. Your free audiobook is yours to keep, whether you decide to cancel in your trial period or not. All you need to do to get that free audiobook is go to www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist and click through. Well, there's a literary flavour to this week's interview, which uh, saw me going down to New Cross to an old abandoned police station, or as it's now known, the Fleece Station. Well, hello, hello. I am in New Cross today on the on the border with Deptford and some uh, strange pre-interview discussions going on here have already included sheep. We're not allowed to talk about another animal that's featured so far. Uh, the, the far right seems to have uh, cooked. And we, we, we might be reuniting lovers on today's <laughs> interview. I'm really not sure what's going on. We're at the flea station and this is a, a studio within an old converted beautiful brick police station. Enormous police station. I've got say with uh, holding cells and so forth that have been transformed for the use of artists here with me gary northfield lauren o'farrell and sarah mcintyre in, in no particular order hi guys hello we are here uh, primarily as the guest of lauren o'farrell and uh, you are all about knitting can i just say before we get on here i am in love with your tagline on your website you're all about knitting yeah. and stitching and you've got a thing at the bottom that, there that says keep calm and carry yarn. This is wonderful. <laughs> this is the sort of place I should be. Uh, what What are you though? Who are you? Um, I, I do uh, like a million different things. Um, so I am an author. I write books uh, about knitting, but I also write books about street art because I'm a street artist as well. Um, I'm uh, well. I founded the first graffiti knitting collective um, in the UK. So I'm, and I'm still doing that as deadly knit shade but don't tell anyone that i'm deadly knit shade otherwise i'll have to kill you um sadly <laughs> um four people she's killed so far for saying that i might have misunderstood what we're doing here <laughs> <laughs> um i also uh run as a voluntary thing a group called stitch london which um started off as like three people knitting in a pub in canary wharf um and is now uh, like one of the biggest craft communities in the uk and um, we still meet in central london every single week and it's become multi-craft now so you can bring along pretty much any craft you've got um and we kind of move around a little bit um on different days in different places but we we make stuff uh, as a community it's really rather lovely Okay, there's plenty to unravel there later on. Sit, yeah, yeah. See what, I, see what I did. I'm going to fit in. I think. Uh, let's talk about the the flea station first of all. Why is it called the flea station, Sarah? 
Well, when we first started up, there was a bunch of us, there were three of us actually, just making comics about sheep. And it's in an old police station, so the police station seemed to be the thing. And since Lauren knits and uses uh, sheep mercilessly, <laughs> that's a good name. Do you, want, do you want to say that in a different way? <laughs> what, what, what I'm struck by, though, looking around here, certainly uh, comics are plenty, not too much in the way of wool. There's a f- few tidy bundles over there, but I don't get the impression oh, that this is wool you, central. What's happening? You haven't seen the cupboard of doom downstairs. <laughs> it's quite amazing. It's full of massive balls of wool and a few tropical spiders as well. Yeah, it's and incredible. A well. Oh, a telescope. Yeah, I've got a telescope down there as well. You got it at Deptford Market for a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even use it. I can't use it, man. It's got bits missing. That's a good, well-spent £10. Yeah. Gary, Gary, besides staring into half-formed telescopes, what's your role in things here? Um, well, I write and draw children's comics. So um, I, I kind of got known for drawing uh, Derek the Sheep for the Beano. Um, I currently work on the Phoenix comic, this chap here. I do a strip called Gary's Garden, which I appear in occasionally. It's all about funny little creatures in the garden. Oh, OK. So I'm, I'm looking now at this and we've got uh, it's, fa- it's a fairly uh, sparse garden scene, a few <laughs> weeds and dandelions and so forth. And we've got yeah. uh, what seems to be a butterfly, a bird of some kind, uh, a little bee. Yeah. And are these, your main, these are the main characters? No, it's, it kind of changes every week. I have something completely different. So this particular one is the monthly meeting of the Mimicry Club. So they just have a little meeting. Um, and nobody really understands what mimicry means. And the boss gets very angry. <laughs> so they, like a slow, a slow worm turns up, says, oh, is this Mimicry Club? And everyone goes, ah, snake, run for your lies, run for your lies. Goes, no, I'm not actually a snake. I'm a slow worm. Well, you look like a snake to me. <laughs> Can I join then? No, no snakes allowed. <laughs> Well, as you can hear, listen, this is going to be a, a dour and ill-humoured episode, if ever there was one. Let's return to uh, Wool for a moment. And uh, we've got Stitch London, Stitch New York as well. But let's obviously, we know what the show's about. Let's focus on London for the time being. The book Stitch London that I can see has uh, some bobbies on the beat, all stitched from wool, I presume. How does this work? What are you doing with, with wool? What, what is this? Because uh, you, you, you formed this first ever uh, guerrilla... Uh, knitting collective what, what does that mean yeah so um they're totally two different things uh weirdly one is the like the stitch london book you can basically knit little bits of london so you can make your own big ben um tower bridge etc but you can also make cool stuff like not that i know where it is but my scarf is uh basically in the colors of the tube and it's knitted in a tube and it's got a little oyster pocket Oh, right, here it, here it is. So it's uh, it was it was hell actually to try and find colours that match the tube lines. Think but. think Doctor Who. <laughs> but see, oyster pocket useful. Um, so it's like a collection of useful stuff, but also just crazy stuff to do with London. And it's the most Londony knitting book in the whole world, basically. Are you producing and selling this stuff, or is this so that other people can follow your path? Um, it's so other people can follow my patterns, um, and the stuff that I actually produce um is street art so i make street art in london um and occasionally do commissions for people like uh, the natural history museum over there see the orange thing that's a giant squid that i made for the natural history museum um out of carrier bags his name is plachi he's actually on twitter he's got his own twitter account but he um he was like a commission so I do the two different things, um, really. He's life-sized version of Archie, who's the giant squid in the spirit collection of the Natural History Museum. So get to do cool stuff. And I'm presuming made out of carrier bags to say something about the environmental consequences of mistreating the sea. To be perfectly honest, made out of carrier bags because it's really cheap. <laughs> you're, you're kidding. 
<laughs> you know, you, if you have to knit an eight metre giant squid, um, it's going to cost a lot in wool. Um, and actually, yes, partly because of the recycling thing. But um, it's it's got that kind of sea life texture to it when you turn um, plastic bags into yarn too. There was there was a wonderful thing there. Have you seen the film Love Actually? Yes. And there's a moment there where she's talking about knitting an octopus, I think, and she says, eight is a lot of arms, David. Ah. And that it's you. It's it yeah. Is. <laughs> Except that squid have ten arms. Which I found out to my horror when I got up to the eighth. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay, we can see on the Knit the City book there, a whodunit set in London. Uh, and I'm not sure whether now I'm lacking in confidence to say whether this is tied in, boom, boom, with your other projects. We can see on the front there clearly Charles Darwin, uh, statu- <laughs> a statue there of wrapped in a giant squid. Uh, we've got Eros. I'm not sure what's going on there, but I suspect he might be wearing a, a pair of pants or a hat or something. He has a string of hearts attached to his bow, which we did in situ in Piccadilly Circus in front of a whole load of tourists. Uh, I had a very big stick on me that day. Biggest stick in the world. <laughs> and she tried to. She experimented with a stick here at the police station. <laughs> you, yeah, you were trying to like get stuff from downstairs with it. It was amazing. It's like fifty feet long or something. I was there when uh, Lauren put that up on the Eros. There was such a cheer when it went up because it took ages. She had this really long telescopic pole. It was like, waving in the wind. And it wasn't quite getting on, and it got. It went, she, t- she turned around. She didn't realise. She had like a hundred people watching it. It was like really amazing. And, and what is all of this in aid of? Why are you attaching wool? statues um it's street art so like any other street artist i'm kind of taking making my art i get to make my art at home where it's cozy and i have cups of tea and biscuits um but yeah to it's kind of to inspire people to take the city and do what they want with it rather than just wander through it aimlessly um so that's the idea um so i'm in a little collective uh, which is myself and uh, the fastener called knit the city um we've been making street art since 2009 in london so yeah look out for unexpected yarn the key difference it seems to me between yourself um, and what you're doing and other street artists is that uh, it, it might be easier to remove it this looks like a temporary thing rather than the, the sort of the, the graffiti sprayed on a wall for example which is more permanent um, and the, the idea behind our stuff is um is to make it as cute as possible so people want to take it home um so for example um we did like something uh, where we had like a load of mushrooms and magic mushrooms kind of like peering up in Elephant and Castle and a guy went past and we were watching we don't normally watch we normally run away but not on that particular day we were a bit curious um, and he he was hanging around so we told him to take one um, and he took it off to give to his daughter who he had been kind of estranged from and he said that he was basically getting her a present that no one else could get her and I thought that's rather lovely really um, so it's it is it's removable, which means that if we do get stopped by the police, and in the case of if you can see the Parliament Square phone box, um, that's mo- like our most iconic piece. Um, when the police came up to talk to us about it, they actually let us continue making street art in Parliament Square. Would you believe under the gaze of all those CCTV cameras? Um, because we said we'd take it down afterwards. So we got a, a police notice that says seen decorating a phone box in Parliament Square. But one of them actually took a picture on his phone to show his wife when he got home. So I, our street art is a little bit more lovable, I guess, than stuff that people have to scrape off of building sides. 
Right, yes, it seems this is a missing link almost in between, uh, on the one end, sort of hard and fast and you can't take it away, graffiti, which is, some people don't find it particularly welcome, and maybe some of those kind of uh, book-sharing schemes where people leave uh, things that they want to share around. I can't help noticing, Sarah, that you are looking at sheep. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is my, my book, actually, Vernon Letters. It was just, we were talking about sheep and how we got involved, and this was the comic I was working on when we got to this police station. I, I, should, I should describe, actually, Sarah's taken a Jack and Nori-style pose here in a, in, a, in a grandmother's uh, type chair crossed her legs open the book <laughs> anyway it's about a sheep named Vern and his friend Lettuce and it was inspired by Peckham actually because um, it's set in a sort of alternative parallel universe called Pickle Rye and Pickle Rye Park and, it's, and Vern is a, a park ranger in Pickle Rye Park and He's got an obsession with moles and he goes around trying to get the moles out because he's the park keeper. And the moles are little anarchists and run wild and destroy basically Peckham. <laughs> Peckham Wright Park. Is there, a, is there a sort of message underpinning the <laughs> adventures of these guys? Well, I don't know. I mean, it starts out about the moles, but then they end up watching this television show, this celebrity uh, talent show and they really want to do it but they don't actually have time to go get talents so they just like go think they can do it on force of personality alone and um they get to the show and everything goes wrong colossally but they end up saving london so it's quite impressive <laughs> and there's, there's a whole lot of london in like there's the where's the page where basically oh, okay, yeah. there's bunny rabbits sliding down the bit in between two escalators mm. that you really want to slide down <laughs> oh yeah but it's uh, it's always got that those little barrier things all the way up it but um yeah there you oh, go. right here yeah, we go cause I always thought, you know how they always put the barriers and you can't slide down the tube i thought this is like my parallel london so this is like london as i want it to be with animals and slidey slidey um escalator things but actually i noticed that skyfall had it as well but i did it first yeah, did it skyfall. Skyfall. Did they do it with rabbits as well <laughs> they didn't they had daniel craig sliding down the tube <laughs> more or less the same thing isn't it so you think daniel craig read your book then oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. he's a big fan <laughs> now i should mention that we're in a reasonably compact space i think that would be a fair description when this is a three-person office and it's not a four-person office so you're you're working in close proximity with each other i know that a relationship has existed between two of you let's (laughs) let's leave it hanging and let people work out if they could quite clearly the the sort of infectious fun attitude that you've you've got to work with is is necessary for you what do you do if you come in and a stinker of a mood how does this how does this work because i I, every month i do um a strip for national geographic kids and i have to (laughs) No, again, uh, you want to phrase that differently. <laughs> <laughs> no, it literally is. I do. I'm never in there, but every month I do send that picture. <laughs> so I do know. Okay, I do a comic strip for National Geographic, and it's. Um, I have to do something historical. I have to write sort of life history about Queen Victoria or Henry VIII. But I get really grumpy because it's such a hard thing to kind of um, compress like someone's whole life into like nine panels and. On the day I have to write the script, everybody has to shut up. <laughs> Basically, no talking, no laughing, and I'm really stressed out. So. Is, it, is this true? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think we we all have. We I come in here and fight with my knitting machine, cry into big piles of yarn, um, and Sarah. There's lots of paint flying and and yeah, all sorts. So I think we we all have our like our days. But at the same time, it's it's kind of lovely to have this space where you can you've got other artists not doing what you're doing, which is always really nice. I mean, the difference between Sarah and Gary's stuff is phenomenal, actually. Um, 
Yeah, but you can just... <laughs> it wasn't until I started copying Gary. <laughs> Gary thinks I draw like him, but I actually there was one page in the last book where I, I had to draw this dinosaur, and it just looked terrible. It was, it was a bad dinosaur. So I gave Gary this post-it note and said, Gary, draw me a dinosaur. In like two seconds, he drew this perfect dinosaur. So actually, it, it, it looks exactly like his Derek the Sheep, but it's Derek the Dinosaur, and it's in my book. <laughs> but I painted it. It just kind of looks very much like Derek, that's all. Now, how, how did you... Because this, this seems like... A, a marriage in a way this is a close <laughs> partnership between you've got to get you get through the highs you get through the lows yes. um, has it always been the the three of you how long does this go back who, who else has been involved how does it work um, well originally it was there was me Sarah and uh, another children's book artist called Vivian Schwartz um, who... uh, the fact that you give her a surname that makes her sound slightly intimidating I don't know why <laughs> No, she's lovely. Actually, she's very nice. She is uh, amazingly talented and intimidating because she's she's like shortlisted for the Greenaway Prize several years yeah. in a row. And she, I mean, she's insanely she's gifted. Um, so yeah, we 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 actually discussed um, how horrible our lives were because we were freelance at the time, and we were sort of saying, "Oh, it's really boring. You get out of bed, you go into your front room, you do some work, and you know, and you end up talking to yourself." And we're saying, oh, "It'd be lovely to get a studio." So the three of us started discussing this on Twitter, and then we said, "Let's get a studio together." And then. I think it was a friend of Sarah's on Twitter said, oh, I know somewhere that's going. And so within about a month, we was in here, weren't we, after mm. discussing it on Twitter. Um, but then about eight months later, I think, Vivian moved on. And by that time, I was uh, <laughs> seeing Lauren. And Lauren was looking for a space yeah. because she had quite a lot of uh, woolen. She had a lot of work going on, needed an office space. So she moved in. And Ellen as well. We had Ellen from New York. She was here um, in the meantime. There used to be four of us in here, but that was so packed. Yeah. So when it was all four of us, it really it was like a big social social hour. But it wasn't really. You couldn't get any work. You couldn't get any work done with just four of us because we were just making jokes. Well, I was. Gary, everyone else was just staring solemnly at him. Right, so you, so let, let me make sure I've pathologised this correctly. Uh, Vivian had to leave because you were just cracking jokes all the time. Essentially. <laughs> and, then, and then you got you, you got your girlfriend in. Yeah, exactly. Worked perfectly well. <laughs> Poor Vivian Shorts. <laughs> She still loves us. <laughs> Collect, no, I, I need to get my head, Lauren, around the figures here. You started off with seven people. Now, is this the graffiti so the knitting graf- side yeah, of things? the graffiti knitting side of things, um, the kind of numbers fluctuate. So uh, I think there were six to begin with, went up to seven, now down to two. Now, see, you say fluctuate. Plummet would be another one. <laughs> yes, they would be. Well, we killed the others off. <laughs> Still in the cells. Yeah. Downstairs. That's where we keep our clients when they don't pay. <laughs> Um, it, it kind of takes uh, takes a long time and a lot of effort to make what we make, and I think a few people got a bit disillusioned with the fact that you know you're making something and just giving it away. Um, whereas myself and uh, the fastener who I work with, um, we actually do commissions and stuff, and it's like a job for us, half job, half sneaky running away. Um, so it's it's yeah. The numbers didn't work. I, I, like, like a bad builder, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, with the, no response. They're not child safe, these pieces that we leave on the streets. So, yeah, if we pay guys out, at least no one knows it's it's us, really. It's fine. <laughs> Is there anyone else in town doing what you're doing, Lauren? Now, yeah, absolutely. Loads of little um, kind of graffiti knitting groups have popped up all over the place now, which is, is, is lovely, and it's also really surprising because, I, I mean... It's happening all the way around the UK as well. I was in Cambridge the other day and I walked past a tiny little knitted heart hanging from a door, uh, tweeted the picture and found the person who was responsible for it, which is really nice. But when I started it off, like in 2009, no one else was doing it. Um, And 
they were doing it in the US but only making cosies for things. So it was just literally the novelty of putting knitting on something. Whereas we started doing something uh, which I call a stitch story where we were actually putting a theme. So we using characters so we did like one um oranges and lemons the churches from the oranges and lemons nursery rhyme they still exist um in london so we made an installation at each site and we basically in one day went around every single site and put an installation at that church in the order of the nursery rhyme um and we tweeted every single one so first live graffiti knit on twitter too Wow, that's a lot of niche areas. <laughs> Although not so niche. I mean, what's going on? Did you catch a wave as far as the sort of knitting revival goes or something? Um, I think so. I, with the Stitch London group, there were there were three people to begin with, like at the little community where we meet up and knit every week. Um, there's now 12,500 on our mailing list. So I, I think I just caught it at the point when craft is absolutely huge now. Mm. There's a huge number of groups popping up all over London, um, which is amazing. But back in the day, like hardly anyone was doing it and you used to i'd knit on the tube and people would be fascinated they'd all be watching um whereas now they kind of see it more often so it's 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 really good i love it i love the fact that craft is basically taking over london in fact i call stitch london the woolly godzilla because it's just like smashing its way across the city in a cuddly way (laughs) (laughs) comic books now okay i need to get my terminology right from the get-go graphic novels or comics or comic books oh it's all the same thing it's comics is what we generally call it but sometimes they like to call it graphic novels to make it sound more posh yeah more serious and more kind of um yeah accepted by a society i use the word graphic novels but um i'll just i'm just not going to plug it obviously but i have this lovely new children's called teeny tiny teeny dinosaurs yeah so it's difficult to know what to actually how to sort of classify um comics and graphic novels um Generally, people are starting to say graphic novel, but when it comes to, say, like children's books, a bit like my teeny tiny saws, which I have here in my hand, um, it's like a select, it's like seven stories in there about dinosaurs aimed at kids, but I wouldn't call it graphic novels because um, people do perceive it as like Batman stories and not like hard boiled stories. And this is like fun, silly stuff for kids. So I would just call it a book of comics. It's really hard. We, can't, we were trying to talk about it yesterday. What do we call it? Oh, it could be a picture book, but it's a picture book yeah. with speech bubbles. I would hate to call it a picture book. Yeah. I really would. Let's talk about the comic scene in London more generally. And it's something I know nothing about. I don't even know what the route into this would be, except to ask, you know, what the landscape looks like, Sarah. Well, there's lo- just loads of people making little books in their homes, you know, basically coming out of books, producing on their printer, stapling them and bringing it to a comics fair and selling them, swapping them with other people. Um, there's thing, a Comiquette, which is a big fair, and there's one up in Leeds and called Thought Bubble, and there's, uh, there's just happening all over the country, but I think London's really a big hub of comics, the comics community. Now, you say that. I do remember having been to a comic uh, convention for, for, for producers, and it's, it struck me as being a really uh, sort of cottage industry type affair on the whole yeah i mean you kind of have always had the, the comic cons with you know the superhero stuff but i think there's a new revival of kind of people coming out who have other stories to tell not superhero mm-hmm. comics just so much and it's a lot more actually joining with craft so you get people who knit and make um collage and other things coming in and adding a whole new dimension to comics it's really beautiful mm-hmm. so you just get new stories new ways of telling it new ways of thinking about comics and they could, you could also call them artist books. There's very big crossover there. Something that comes across in more conventional types of literature, of course, is that the author finds themselves writing about themselself and the autobiographical yeah. details slip in. Mm. Does the same thing 
obtain with uh, comics? Yeah, I mean, you get a lot of autobiographical comics, but um, I think it also you're pulling from the zine crowd. There's a big zine crowd as well that was different than comics. People oh, what's, writing, what's the difference there? Well, it's kind of people writing stories about their life about London, but it tended to be less less pictures. I don't know. It was more more writing. And um, it tends to be more political sometimes. Is that the kind of zine scene from the seventies like, and eighties? Yeah, yeah, and that you still see that crossing over with comics and yes. craft, and there's there's a lot of mixing, and in a good way, I think. I think it's kind of lightened up some of the zines. Well, I was going to say that a lot of um, kind of self-published comics these days they do tend to be autobiographical comics. I see, you know, mm-hmm. a, a hell of a lot of them actually. But they're, they're just really beautifully produced, and they're so idiosyncratic each story. So it's lovely to see actually. What is? Let's nail it down. What is the difference between a zine and a comic? Uh, I would say comic literally is you're dealing with the kind of picture box narrative. Whereas a zine can be anything you just like uh, articles and collages and just whatever you want to throw at it. It's so fun to get like a little look into people's lives. You know, you get people all over London who have completely different stories, and they're all telling them with pictures and interwoven. So you really get a sense of it. You know, if, if you if you're reading a novel, a lot of time you're putting what you have in your mind on the novel and, and filling out the pictures. Whereas in a comic, you actually get to learn things from the pictures about somebody else's life. You know, they're showing you instead of you having to make it up, which is great. You get to be in a whole new world well there's a clear link there between uh, what we've been talking about and something that you found i think which gave you an insight into the stories of t- two people presumably communicating with each other yeah i had, we were in Deptford market and we were just kind of having a rummage and a ramble and i come across this box having, and a, it, having a rummage <laughs> having a rummage <laughs> i was getting ready for one of my natural geographic photos <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, I come across this box. It was just full of these really old love letters. I thought, oh my god! And I said to the lady, "How much of these goes or oh, quid for one and gives us twenty quid for the old box?" And I only had like a five me So I run up to Lauren and Sarah. Said, "You'll give me twenty quid or whatever it was." And we just look, look at this box. And they were like, "Oh my god, we have to buy the whole box." And it was just these beautifully preserved old letters between this guy who was in, I think, the RAF, yeah. and his girlfriend who lived in Deptford talking about his boils <laughs> mainly <laughs> but they were really it's just so much stuff we couldn't believe we had this big box of these yeah photos everything so we, we, you can really build up a whole life about these two people so we're thinking maybe one day probably not in a sort of too distant future past <laughs> think, which one go but we will we will do like a project on it definitely based on all our different kind of um uh, angles of art it was an amazing find i mean it's basically it's a box full of someone's life in the middle of i mean deptford market we love to bits mm-hmm. because you can find anything mm-hmm. there I, I bought a load of billiard balls for two pound fifty once i don't know what i'm going to do with them but yeah you, you literally can find anything boxes of wigs um like <laughs> old watches it's it is utterly bizarre um, and it's just so great to have like a rummage tree but but we when we found that box we kind of felt like responsible for yeah. keeping it all together because if they were selling they're selling off people's memories basically for a quid each um so i i don't know what we'll do with it but there were photos there were there's all sorts of stuff in there like like it's jeffrey and julia and julia has kept like tiny tiny like two inch big diaries of every single time she's written to jeffrey over in kenya or tanzania rhodesia wherever he is and it's just it's so she's checked off you know wrote to jeffrey today and then got a letter from jeffrey (laughs) What what are the dates on these um, it was oh. the war, during the war. Yeah, um, so it started from about 41, I think, 39, 41, yeah. into 46, 47, they got married. And have you done the research to find out if these guys are still around? No, or? actually. I'm guessing because of the, with debt from market, you get a lot of um, house clearances from when people died, so I'm assuming 
they've died. No, we haven't. That's a good point. Yeah. We should look into that. But there's a picture, and one of the pictures is an older couple, and we think we've pinned it down to them. We think it is them. Because uh, she's got quite distinctive eyebrows, hasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> she had massive, massive... Well, that's a gift to an artist, surely. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Deptford has uh, come in for some stick on the, the BBC, generally speaking, hasn't it? With the exception of notable exception of Lewisham A&E actually there's been some sort of quite positive developments culturally speaking around here yeah we were really surprised to see it was on um, Channel 2 I think and there was this documentary about Deptford and it made it look like it was this really dead kind of dying place that used to have a thriving high street but it's all been boarded up and sad and and it it couldn't actually be further from the truth because you have all the art students around here you have massive kind of multicultural community Mm -hmm. the market is so thriving and just there's new shops and cafes and galleries popping up everywhere and we even have our own library we've got a new library like everyone in the whole country is losing their life well not everyone but lots of libraries are being shut down and we've got a new one and it's gold <laughs> What's it's, it's made of gold. so you've got all the funding for <laughs> i think um, when i first came to the studio i literally i didn't know this area at all um and i lived out in surrey so i wasn't used to to like Deptford New Cross um, and I was a bit terrified like when I first came it's got a very bad reputation obviously um, and over the time that I've been in the police station I have totally fallen in love with this area it's there's so much going on here and like they've got the Deptford X like exhibitions where there's just like loads of art going on street art going on um, I did some graffiti in Deptford Market actually and it's one of the only places where my stuff has stayed up for like at least two weeks because they looked after it um, it's the community side of Deptford is is really lovely it's so nice to be a part of but I still worry about going home late at night from the studio because even though you're working next to a police station yes especially (laughs) I did actually get mugged like once up there so yeah Yeah, you have to be very careful twice (laughs) I've never had any problems to be honest but I'm really tall so I don't think they mess with me (laughs) Gary's like a hobbit (laughs) well I used to live on um, New Cross Road and uh, when I moved out I found out it was it was I was on the part of which was called uh, the murder half mile. So I was glad to move out of there. That was pretty grim. That was the grimmest place I've ever lived. I can't help noticing you. You said, Lauren, that you feel uh, a lot calmer now. You have actually threatened death or imprisonment three <laughs> times during this interview. She does. Well, that. my uh, my uh, my graffiti knitting name is Deadly Knitshade, so that side kind of tends to come out every now and again. I'm not apologising for it. <laughs> I think we have like video game lives here. She's killed us like 10, 15 times, but we come back because we've been saving up points. Actually, now I think about it, Gary, you're claiming to be a, a, an opener of libraries. That's correct, yes. What, what do you mean? Um, I've been invited uh, by um, South Wales Council to <laughs> open one of their new libraries. Because they thought we, what we need is somebody from Penge. Yeah, Penge, Penge is the place to be. Why, why, why are you? Uh, when I've, no, Sorry, I didn't mean to sound so... <laughs> Astonished. <laughs> no, I have got a little bit of history of um, uh, a lady who runs a children's library in Newport in South Wales. Big fan of my Derek the Sheep character from the Beano. And so is the lady who runs all the libraries in South Wales. And so she specifically asked for me to come. And I've done lots of workshops for them. And they said, can we get Gary to open this library? So I'm hoping for the big scissors and the ribbon and everything <laughs> and, and the speech and things. So, yeah. It's kind of what we do. I mean, we're children's book authors. So that's so they, we get invited around to sort of dress up and be the Kate Middletons of, of England. <laughs> And just we, we, you know, we, we bless things and bless <laughs> ribbons and do, do the job. So it sounds as though you bless things. Yeah, I, I do the I do the exorcisms. I don't bless anything, so I'm here. Yeah. Uh, you bless London with your art. <laughs> I do, I do. There's some cheese going on. There. <laughs>
Um, <laughs> what, what should we talk about in terms of things coming up? Because there's, uh, clearly there's a degree of uh, not revealing exactly what's going to happen. Otherwise, the running away will be uh, even more necessary. But what have you got coming up uh, other than that? I know that the sort of publication clearly is part of your life. Yeah, so, um, well, Stitch New York literally just came out. So it's my like New York-y version of the London book, basically. Uh, you can knit like Woody Allen and the Empire State Building and things like that. Um, and a taxi that rolls along. Very exciting. Oh, and Holly Golightly. Yes, very cute. She is just all sparkly. Um, but in, in terms of street art, uh, there are going to be some very interesting things coming up. But I, I literally can't tell you. But one might I be. I can tell you. But um, yeah, one might might be on wheels. So there you go. That's as much as I'm going to say. And are you even-handed in how you distribute your art around London? Uh, no. Do you know what? Actually, I tend to choose the areas that are going to have the best background. So hence Big Ben being in the background. I think we can get away with a lot more than like people who do street art with spray cans can because we can take it away. But that means that I'm quite happy to march into the middle of Piccadilly Circus and do something because I'll go, I can take it down, Governor. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it is, it's a lovely place to do street art in, like smack bang in the middle of the city. I tend to avoid like Shoreditch, Hoxton, where everyone else is doing the street yeah. art there. I kind of want to do something there with the cool kids. Who who is exciting you in terms of street art at the moment? Um, I I I still like every time Invader comes back to London and does more mosaics. I'm just he's I have my his proper street art crush Invader. Like he does stuff in Paris, but um, some of he came back last year and did like bigger mosaics of his Space Invaders. Um, so they're always quite amazing. But actually, it's the people who. I have no idea what their names are, and stuff just pops up. This morning on the Overground, I saw um, I just random words like along the the Overground line from Crystal Palace, and the colours were really nice. And I was thinking, oh, someone's actually had a think about that. Normally, it's a bit messy and and yeah, me me me. But this was it was lovely. So I I love finding street art that someone's actually put a bit of thought into. Um, and there's a lot of that in London. There's so much street art. I think I'm starting to notice it more and more maybe because I am a street artist, but also because I think people are getting a little bit sick of businesses being able to do stuff and no one else having a voice. So, mm. Well, there's, there's this amazing story fairly recently of one of the Banksies that was it was put up around the time of the Queen's Jubilee. Nine. The Turnpike Lane one. Turnpike Lane, yeah. yeah, and it was it disappeared from the wall, and it's just popped up in uh, a, in a, an auction house really? in the US. Mm. Sold for how much? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much it was. Yeah, no idea how much it sold for, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> they um, somebody I, I was reading about it online, and someone said, "Oh, it would have been nice if he'd done it on a public building so that people could keep it." So obviously, the person whose whose wall it was has sold it off for lots of money. But I, I, it's so nice that London is proud of its. Banksies, you know, it gives us street artists a bit of hoop. Yes, that really is blessing a building to put a Banksy <laughs> on there. Uh, what about you, Sarah? What's coming up? Um, I've actually, I'm just working on some books right now and doing lots of school events and festivals. But I'm actually right behind you. I'm building a giant wig <laughs> out of cling film, which is really fun. It's going to be about five feet high, and I'm wearing it in Bologna at the book fair to promote a new book I'm doing with Philip Reeve called Oliver and the Sea Wigs. I've got to, this looks nothing like a wig at this stage. Uh, I've got no, to say, this looks more like a voodoo doll or something. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I've actually made a smaller prototype ones that I've worn. But, like 
Yeah, it's going to have massive curls all around. It's going to be a bit Marie Antoinette, but have like tentacles and sea life coming out of it. So um, that's, that's I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if my neck can actually support it for a whole day, but we will see. <laughs> and, and presumably people will want to have a look at this when it comes out. You're, you're on uh, Twitter, you have a website. Yeah, that's right. It's coming out with Oxford University Press in the autumn, and I'm really excited. It's, it's at Jabberworks, actually. It's kind of like the Jabberwocky from the poem, but it's Jabberworks. And if, uh, if you Google me, you'll find Sarah McIntyre, you'll find my website, jabberworks.co.uk. <laughs> Gary, what's your library quota for this year? My library? Well, yeah, obviously I'm opening just the one library. But um, if, if anybody has any libraries they want to be opened, I'm available. <laughs> we, love, we love libraries. Libraries are getting really bad stick these days. The government is not supporting libraries, and they're such a social hub. And they have so much opportunity to grow and become something even better. But if the government's just going to shut them all down, it's we're going to lose such a valuable thing. It's like... You know, it, it, it does need the library does need to change. We need to think it's not always just about printed books. Mm. You know, people are needing all sorts of information. They need help finding information. Like, if you want to learn about London, um, you know, if you just Google London, you're not going to find all the stuff that a trained librarian could actually help you uncover. And you can meet people on the internet. You can meet experts. You can meet historians. But how do you, how do you find these people? So that's why we need our trained librarians and our libraries and places to go um, to to know you know to find out these things. But what what is a library for then? Because we've heard plans for the police to bring their services, their front counter services, into libraries. Mm-hmm. You're talking about it in terms of a, a sort of an information hub that goes beyond the, the the books and the materials that people might want to borrow. Uh, isn't there a danger? And this is often the criticism of highly computerized new libraries mm-hmm. that the books and the reading and the learning has actually been lost or forgotten somewhere well, in all of this. Say, um, I did um, a workshop at the local library in New Cross, which was one of the ones which the council closed down, and then it was opened by um, uh, what do you call it? volunteers. Yeah, and um, I did some cartoon workshops there, and I worked with one kid, um, and I got I showed him all the kind of horrible histories books and the Captain Underpants books, and the dad was like popped in and said, "My God, I can't believe he's shown me these books. I, he's, he's never read anything before, and he's so excited about these books. I never knew these books existed." So it's a it's a kind of a little gateway for people who have, you know. So this, this dad obviously works really long hours and the, hasn't really got time for his kid, but it, it just opens these gateways because it's so, one of the poorest areas in London, and so they can't afford to buy books. So it, it is that opportunity for them to read books if they have no money, basically. Yeah, and you see all these kind of like moms and dads who, who are, have their kid during the day when their other partners at work maybe or, or they're single and they need somewhere to go with their kid because they just go mad staying at home and having that warm space they don't have to actually buy anything they can just go and meet other adults who have sane conversations with them and um and they can you know explore I've seen a toddler just go into like a children's book section and just be rummaging to find out what you know what excites them what grabs their eye and you can't get that on online yeah, you know yeah. kids just can't explore that way and tactile the sort of grabbing big squares and looking at them and opening them and mm. they're like the same size as a kid you know when a picture book opens it's like stepping into a theater it's so big for a kid and it's it's an awesome experience but also you can't do that in a bookshop because you will have to pay for it you can't go have sleep mail and get like sticky fingers all over everything if you're a tiny kid mm. um whereas yeah in the library and there's also there's so much more than books there's all sorts of stuff going on um i know that um the one in crystal palace they we've been kind of fighting to keep our library desperately um and it's it is a community hub like people go in there for all sorts of things um and a lot of like older people just go in there to have 
somewhere that isn't home for them to you know meet up with people and and have a chat and it is it's lovely but I mean we had a meeting and when I first moved to Crystal Palace there was a meeting to try and keep the library and that room was absolutely packed full of people who are desperate to keep that library and from uh, I think it was a little five-year-old boy who stood up and did a speech that made everyone go oh to um you know people who have lived in Crystal Palace their whole lives and it just goes to show that how much people love their libraries and what an impact they make I mean it, I think we'd be devastated if the one in Crystal Palace disappeared um, and I think that's the same everywhere really it's been, it's been saved though isn't it mm. yeah hooray we get to keep it <laughs> <laughs> but we had it um, like there's a pal- uh, Crystal Palace Alex Milway set up the Crystal Palace uh, Children's Book Festival and that was partly based around a library that was mm. kind of run on its own free st- I, I can't remember the way it's run the Norwood West Norwood. Oh, it's run by, uh, I think, three councils. And uh, one or two of the councils said, yeah, we're not putting the funding in anymore. And there's an agreement um, that everyone has to put this money in, so therefore it was uh, under threat. But so one of the other councils gave the money, put up the, mo- the rest of the money, so it's been saved. And that meant they were just able to do wild things with this mm. festival, you know, have massive comics workshops, do whatever they wanted, really. It was it was incredible, the explosion of creativity that came out of it. That, that's another thing, because um, that's South London as well. And they involved a lot of South London authors and writers and comic book artists. And it is a really thriving hub, actually, especially sort of in, in this sort of uh, Crystal Palace, New Cross area. Okay. It's wonderful, actually. Yeah. Broccoli as well, yeah. Some of the areas that have uh, that feature these kind of studios, it, it, I always get the feeling that it's sort of transient. I can see that this is established, but there's always the threat looming of redevelopment in uh, a lot of areas. Is that something that's extant here? I don't think so. I think, well, we've got goldsmiths just up the road, so there's like artists pouring out into the streets every five minutes. Um, so I don't, I think actually there's probably going to be more and more popping up. I think we had the culture show came and filmed something here, like. Uh, last year we were kind of creeping around in the background looking not very arty at all um, but yeah I, I, I think that around here it's definitely going to just keep growing and growing um, Deptford X seems to get bigger all the time they, they do like open studios where you can pop in and, and see where people work people come in here and, and look a bit horrified <laughs> <laughs> they think it's going to be this big amazing Shoreditch kind of huge space and beautiful and then they, it's like this room just full of books and, and knitted stuff and really small <laughs> But it's good because it's small, because it stays warmer. <laughs> um, the thing about this area in particular, like New Cross, and with the Goldsmith College, um, a lot of the students do actually stay near. Once they've finished college, they actually move into the area, they live around the area. Like when Lauren was saying that, she was a bit kind of uh, trepidatious about the area, but she's, she stayed in the area. And I, I come from, like, East London, uh, Romford, actually. That's not even East London, but it's east of London. And uh, I, I got married. So it's China. It's China. It might as well be playing China, yeah. Oh. I said bum match. But, um, so, but I, I'm not from the area at all. But I've ever since I moved here, I've never left. Even though I've got married and divorced and things, whatever, I've stayed here because there's something about South, South London. It's it's a lovely sort of warm, lovely place. But people are scared of it. My dad doesn't want to come south of the river. People don't want to come south of the river. But it's just very odd, you know. People have these preconceptions about the place, which is totally false. But that's totally okay because that keeps the rents down. So it just, it's it's horrible here. Nobody wants to come here. No, just stay away. <laughs> Actually, because I, I came from America. I'm from Seattle originally. But I was like, I came about 13, 14 years ago. And um, and just, I was really fascinated by the Thames and like the fact there's this Thames cycle path that you can go like all the way up to, down to Greenwich, under the river, up to the North Bank, cross Tower Bridge, back home. And it's like, you almost never have to go on the road and you're just going along the cool like riverside and there's so much history just buried in the, the mud even. Mm. You know, you can go down the mud, with, you know, we all do it kind of going and picking up old clay pipes and bits of 
Every, everybody else is shaking their heads. No, they they don't know what you're talking. About. <laughs> but it's just I, I used to I used to kind of when I first got here, I didn't quite know what I was doing. I was going around and like riding my bike and just kind of trying to figure out and just communing with London really. And it was such an awesome thing. My first children's book was um, actually just pictures of the Thames South Bank and little characters riding along it. It's really I love it. This area for in terms of like working and, and living is uh, it's lovely. I. When I first joined the studio, um, I was with Gary as his girlfriend, um, but I, I'm not anymore, but I've stayed in the studio and yeah. in this area because I love working with these guys, but also because the area is its a fascinating place to work in. Um, yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't want to give it up. No. Gary, we should say something about... Well, we've, al- we've already nearly plugged Teeny Tiny Saurus, yeah. but we could do it again. So, yeah, I've got this book called Teeny Tiny Saurus. What, what's it called again? Teeny Tiny Saurus. Okay. And it's coming out in May, beginning of May, from Walker Books. Uh, my name's Gary Norfield. You will find me on Twitter uh, at G Norfield and uh, GaryNorfield.com. And I can see your name there on that on that book. What's yes. the name of the book? Teeny Tiny Saws. All okay. one word. All one word. Put it into Google, you'll find it. And also, just to re-mention The Phoenix, is an amazing weekly children's comic. It's a very rare thing. There's not many weekly children's comics left in this country. You've got the Beano and, and you've got this and plus loads of kind of... Uh, licensed rubbish but this is like um creator owned comics all different kinds of adventures and good ripping action going oh it's amazing so yeah do check out your local independent bookshop and waitrose for the phoenix and there's uh, there's some art in there by the uh, author of teeny tiny sauce yeah um his name is gary norfield (laughs) right (laughs) we can't keep going at that kind of pace though lauren Um, where can people find out more about your knitting and uh, other antics uh so my website is um whodunit.com um, and I'm on Twitter as Deadly Knitshade um, and also Plachi. If you want to follow your squid, follow Plachi. Um, Instagram, Deadly Knitshade um, as well, and uh, Facebook and everywhere else. Um, and knitthecity.com for the graffiti knitting collective stuff. Right, sounds like a, a day's entertainment just going around all the uh, the different <laughs> feeds there. Finally, I know there's a blog for the Flea Station. What, what's that? Um, yeah, we have a website, thefleecestation.co.uk. All one word, Flea Station. Gary Northfield, Sarah McIntyre, Lauren O'Farrell, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah. Here she and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to my guests, Lauren O'Farrell, Sarah McIntyre and Gary Northfield. Thanks, too, to Bernie Barkley and Dave Haste. Theme and incidental music was by Jack Hurd and Rory Anderson. And I'm N. Quentin Wolfe.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.